Welcome to the Christian Faith Assembly podcast. We are so excited that you joined us today. Stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at CFA Hope. Also, get more information about small groups, events, and service times at CFAHope.com. Now let's prepare our hearts and minds for a powerful message. I bless you with all of my heart, all of my mind, and all of my body. I bless you. All that is within me, I bless you. Spirit, soul, and body. Are you hearing this? Say, Father, I bless you, spirit, soul, and body. Hallelujah. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Let's let's jump right in this morning. Thank you, Christy Praise Team. Jump right in into the Word this morning. I want to minister to you that, that very statement that He restores my soul. Say, he restores my soul. God never intended for you to be saved on your way to heaven and broken in your soul. It was never God's plan that we would be fragmented in our souls. And so I want to share with you and minister by the leading of the Holy Spirit prayerfully. He will take charge about the importance of a whole soul. So Holy Spirit, we yield this morning to your leading. We ask that you just take this time and arrest me. Bring me into full custody of your grace. Minister life to your church, to your body. Father, as I stand before your people and minister, minister to me. Fix me, Lord, where I'm still in need. Of repair. And so, Lord, I give you praise and give you honor and give you thanks. So, Holy Spirit, have your way. Holy Spirit, have your way. We pray it by faith in Jesus' name. Amen. Put your hands on your head and say, Father, I receive a renewed mind. Holy Spirit, minister grace. To my soul and to my mind in Jesus' name. We are three part beings. We are a spirit. We have a soul and we live in a body. We are a spirit. We have a soul and we live in a body. In fact, look at me, look with me at. First Thessalonians. We're going to look at a lot of scripture and we're, going to, we're not going to be long. We're going to try to be very sensitive to what he would say. First Thessalonians 5 and 23. First Thessalonians 5, 23. When someone get there, raise your hand. I want you to read it with me. Who's going to be my runner this morning? All right, here he is. He's on the front. When you get it, raise your hand, someone quickly. I want you to read this scripture. Quickly, quickly. There's one over there. Keeps you. Bless you. 1 Corinthians 5, 23. Yeah, 1 Thessalonians. What did I say? Amen, amen. amen. You're in the spirit. Good. Amen. 
Now may the, go ahead. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to see very clearly that God never intended that when the Lord comes to receive you unto himself that you're fragmented in any part of your being. It's important to understand that God has put in motion a plan to restore every part of us. I think it's interesting that we in, in Christendom, we, we are often comfortable about being, being uh, saving of our spirit man, meaning that we, we're on our way to heaven. We're comfortable with being born again where we're on our way to eternity. But often we're missing the urgent need to be mended in our soul. We, we're, even, we're even comfortable coming and asking someone to pray for our bodies, that our bodies would be healed. But how many people in the body of Christ go home at night struggling, warring, being terrorized and tortured in their souls? I was last week. I, I it was interesting. I'd been stirring this for the last few weeks or so, and last week I was caught a glimpse of a 60-minute story where Oprah Winfrey was being uh, he was doing a, a little portion, 60 minutes, talking about trauma among children. In particular, she she did a portion there in Milwaukee where she grew up, and she shared a little about what she had gone through, but also this particular. Uh, study that there was being conducted there in Milwaukee was showing that children growing up with trauma are, and they used terms like permanently uh, changed and permanently altered. And I'm thinking, man, that's permanent seems like a long time. That you never get through this? Ah. And it, it just, it, and again, it re reinforced in my heart the urgency to trust God's remedy for trauma. God has a plan. God has a, a, a solution. God has, has introduced something to repair the brokenness on, on, that's inflicted on our souls. It, I have to believe that, that this same Jesus that loved me, saved me from a life of sin, has a plan to fix the brokenness that I may have been exposed to. I have to believe that. I have to believe that he did not save. Listen, I, I, let, let me make this real clear. The, the, the most challenging thing for heaven to do was to save you from your sins. Heaven went to the ultimate extreme to fix the sin issue in our lives. And if he did not withhold Jesus to fix the sin issue, will he not also freely with him give us all things? It's, it's, it's a small thing to think that if he could fix my, my eternal soul sin issue, meaning that, that I was an alien or I was, I was an enemy of God, and God in his infinite goodness went in and, and actually rebirthed me spiritually. And if it took Jesus to, to, to do that, and, and heaven has gone to such an extreme to, to bring us and reconcile us to the Father, surely he can fix the traumas of our lives. Now, I, 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 can, I admit, I, 
I have been taking my medicine uh, for almost 40 years, and it's called the Bible. Uh, how many take your medicine daily? And I want you to know that the book does work. I, I can confess and say that I believe that I had childhood trauma. I, I was, some of you, you, you can see it, huh? Okay. I think, I think to some degree, most people feel at some point that they were dropped by something or by someone. Dropped. I mean, just they've forgotten about or left out. or uh, We all have perhaps somewhere in our life journey hurts and pains and wounds. So I, I'm not making light of anybody's journey. I got my, I got my own issues. But I don't think I'm fragmented and crippled by my journey. If anything, the cross has empowered me to, to use the story to aid and assist others. Let me give you, let me, let's look at some other things here in the scripture. I do believe that much of life is filled with pains setbacks and sorrows and heartache and at times despair and frustration. Um, the word says that, the, that the, the righteous fall seven times and gets back up. I, I know, I know, we all have had hurts. If you've never been hurt deeply, raise your hand. If you've never been hurt, I, I think... I, you know, I say this in, in a joking fashion, but from day one, it seemed like somebody slapped me and just said, hey, come on. You know, and I, I, it, it, day, day of birth, I start crying from that moment on. It's just, it's just, uh, and so what do you do with all this pain? And, and, and today, oh my goodness, it's, it's amazing. You can't seem to turn on any form of media without being inundated with some form of pain or trauma or, you know, the schools are facing, you know, assailants coming in, killing children and, and, and churches and public settings and hurricanes and earthquakes and famine and fires just always coming at us. But what do we do with all of this? I believe God has a remedy. I, and I'm not just trying to whitewash this with religiosity and cute little Christian cliches. I'm talking about I really believe that the God has made a way to mend the brokenness that we face in this journey. I, I don't know if you, you connect the dots, but Jesus himself <laughs> faced early trauma. I mean, I mean, early challenges. I mean, I mean, he grows up and, and I mean, his own brothers and sisters have said not to really believe in him. I and mean, think about it. He chooses disciples. He didn't choose not one of his family members because they really didn't believe him to be the Christ. I'm sure that perhaps him growing up, they probably said, Psh, he's born of a virgin. <laughs> yeah, sure you were. You know, when you look into the scriptures, you see so many examples of people facing early trauma. I think about young Joseph. I mean, Joseph gets a vision early of being mightily used of God, and, and he's despised and, and hated of his brothers. And, I mean, these guys begin to scheme. He's probably 16, 17 years old, 
and he tells them about a dream and he tells his father about a dream and, and actually the dreams were from God and they were accurate and they, they begin to persecute him for that and they, they, they plan his own death. They, some of the brothers plan to kill him. Finally, one or two decided, well, let's just put him in a pit. While he's in the pit, he's crying. With, I mean, he's literally crying to his brothers, don't do this. Don't do this, guys. Come on. Finally, one or two of them said, well, let's sell him. And they pulled him out of the pit and sold him to a band of Ishmaelites going to Egypt. Can you imagine the trauma on this young boy's heart? He's 16, 17 years old. The boys, the brothers that should be loving him and encouraging and protecting him, they sell him into slavery. You're talking about a family problem. And Joseph, from there he goes, sold into Potiphar's house, and eventually accused of sexual assault and put in prison. You're talking about, whoa, you're about being dropped. My goodness, Lord, what's going on in my life? He had to begin to wonder, what is going on? But Joseph was different. Joseph understood that there was something inside of him that was bigger than what he was going through. Now listen to what I just said. Joseph understood that what was inside of him, the visions, the dreams, the sense of, uh, of his identity in God, didn't, he knew something was different, that he knew that this thing was bigger than what he was experiencing. And so no matter where Joseph was, the wisdom, the insight, the, uh, the sense of, uh, of purpose and destiny would emerge. Listen to what Joseph says as he uh, is on the throne. His brothers, these same ones who, who put him in the pit and tried to kill him and sold him into slavery. And listen to what he said. Listen to what he said. Listen, I, I, I want to give you a glimpse. I'm going to give you a glimpse. I'm going to give you a glimpse of a little bit about not, not just sitting back and taking trauma, taking heartache, but somehow not letting it cripple you or define you there's something bigger than what you've been going through there's something more urgent than what you've experienced I, I remember I'm gonna read I'm gonna read Genesis 50 Genesis 50 I remember my 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 early my early years in in, in uh, development I, I really boy I really struggled I really struggled I struggled from a lot of issues Ooh. Ooh. I'm surprised I'm not that I'm not a mess but God I, I can tell you some things that I, I went through and experienced and I remember I was thinking the other day uh, it was one of those days that was cold outside and I remember I can still hear this is interesting uh, I, I, I was grew up in Union County uh, Monroe in particular, and, and, and this was when segregation was in, was in motion. And I remember my first couple years in school uh, in Monroe, they had one school for all the chocolate children they went to. And, and it just so happens it was on the other side of town. And we lived as far west uh, on, in Monroe, and the school was in Far East. And we'd walk to school every day. And the other, other day when I remember it was real cold, I can hear my brother, who was about, a, about 14 months older than I, I am, and I can hear his, him crying as we were walking to school. I don't know why it bothered him more. Uh, my 
my brother, cousin Henderson, and I, we were the younger of the two. And I can hear him crying as his, my older brother crying. The cold bothered him more than, I mean, I mean, I don't know why we didn't cry, but miserable. Now, I did tell you that eventually we fixed that problem. When it was cold like that, we'd go out one door and wait till my aunt go to, go to work, and we'd come back in the back door. We, <laughs> we, we just said, hey, instead of, instead of being cold all the way to school, we just won't go. Hey, that's an answer. And you know, that, that, that really affected, you know, if you don't go to school, you, it'll affect your learning. I stayed warm, though. I stayed warm. And you do that a couple of years, it can mess with you. And until I was 13, I didn't, I didn't grow up with my father or my mother, pretty much. I would visit, have my parents visit me. Well, let me fix that. When I was one to five, I pretty much stayed with my parents. And then they divorced when I was six. Then I stayed with my grandmother. And then I, and from there, I stayed with my aunt. So when you imagine little boys without a father, little boys without parents, how it can mess with your mind. <sighs> Tell someone but God. Now, you, you, can, you, can, you can be angry, and you can grow up and make excuses of why you do what you do. Or you can take the Joseph approach. And listen to what Joseph said to, about his brothers. Joseph said to them, because these boys, their father had died, and these boys says, oh, Lord, Joseph's going to get us now. Because they knew they had done him wrong. And they were afraid Joseph was going to retaliate. And he says this. This is in Genesis 50, 19 and 20. Joseph says, do not be afraid, for I am. He says, for am I in the place of God? He says, he says don't be afraid. I'm not God. Listen to me. God knew and God knows everything you've been through. God knows exactly where you are today. You got to believe that the one who made the heavens and the earth knows every tear you've ever shed. Not one moment of your life went beyond his scrutiny. And I know for many in the earth today. That's unimaginable that a loving God would let a person go through what they go through. I, 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 I don't have all the answers. I don't know why heaven would let us go through some of the things we go through. But he does. But he doesn't leave us in our brokenness. He doesn't leave you in your tears. He doesn't leave us wounded. You, 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 have, you have family members, you have, you have neighbors, you have you have uh, co-workers uh, that, that are going through some unimaginable things. I, I was uh, we praying with a group. Mother, you know who I'm talking about. Praying with a group, and she was talking about uh, there's a young girl in their church who's a friend of a young girl, and uh, the young girl reported, communicated to, to, to this church member uh, that, the, that her father, the young girl, is 13 years old and supposedly reported that she's being sexually assaulted by her biological father. There's a whole new side of me comes out in that part. Uh, but, but the point is, is that God, God can fix that. 
in all its right ways? How, how, how do you deal with the trauma of, of, of being victimized by your, the people who are supposed to protect you? I, I don't, but I know, I know there is a God. See, 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 listen, listen. The measure of one's brokenness is responded by the measure of our God. So, so, so we say, how can a person recover? Well, how can, how can they not when we're talking about the God that we serve? The one who made us can mend us. Are you hearing this? The one who, who made you knows how to go to the dividing of soul and spirit, joint and marrow, and go in there and mend brokenness. I mean, we all were dropped. Joseph said, Joseph said, Joseph said, listen, he says, he says, but as for you, you meant it evil against me, but God meant it for good. Joseph had the attitude that you, you meant to hurt me. You meant to harm me. You meant to take advantage of me. You, you meant to, to, to try to destroy my destiny. You tried to disrupt God's plan, but what you meant for evil, God turned it around and used it for good. I know that that's hard to, to, for all of us. It, it may be hard for anyone to, you know, to go through what Joseph went through or, or to be victimized by our parent. It, it almost seems, how can you possibly have that? But what I've noticed that often people, the very place you were shattered is the place you help mend other people in. I have such a, uh, such a heart and such a love for children. For, for young children. Can't handle but so much of them, boy. I'm telling you, they wear you out. But, but I have such a, such a heart to protect children. And to, and to try to guard their destiny. And to guard their, their, their path. What they meant for evil, God meant it for the good. I think about, again, about Jesus. Jesus is... Um, He's just coming out on the scene. His ministry is just emerging. And the man who affirmed him first was John the Baptist. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. John the Baptist is arrested, put in prison. Jesus' ministry is taking off. And John the Baptist sends two of his disciples and asks Jesus, Are you the one or do we look for another? What? John, you're the one. You know me. John... We're cousins. We're second cousins. You know, you, in fact, you, you leaped in the womb when I, when I was declared. How do you not know I'm the one? John doubted that Jesus was the Christ. Can you imagine just for a moment what that did to Jesus? Like, wait a minute. Of all people who should know that I am who I say I am, you, John. The Apostle Paul has a wonderful testimony of hardships. I mean, my Lord, he kept it together. I, I'm not quite sure all of the reasons why you and I need to hear this morning, hear this sense of, of, of God repairing the brokenness. But, I, but I, either, either you, you're coming out of something, you're in something, or you're going to go into something. Uh, you need to know that God will mend you. He will not leave you in your brokenness. He'll not leave you broken and bruised. And Apostle Paul says, 2 Corinthians eleven twenty three. Paul says, five times received 40 stripes. How would you like to be beaten five times, 39 stripes, five times? 
first of all, I'd stay away from those people who keep doing this to me. <laughs> Jerusalem. Every time he was beaten like this, it was the Jews that beat him. Now, you know, you, he says five, he says, he says, of the Jews five times. I'd stay away from them, those people. He says, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned and three times shipwrecked. Mm. That's a testimony. Listen to what else he says here in, in, in 2 Timothy 3, 10 and 11. He says, uh, he says, but you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love and perseverance, persecution, afflictions. He's talking to young Timothy. Which happened to me at Antioch, Iconium and Lystra. What persecution I endured, and out of them all, the Lord delivered me. What? I mean, he's been through all this stuff, and he says, out of them all, the Lord delivered me. I have to believe that out of all that you've been through, the Lord will deliver you out of them all. As I said earlier, you have co-workers, you have family, you have friends, you have neighbors, you have you have your own testimony where there have been hardships and disappointments and discouragement. And I have to believe that out of them all, the Lord will deliver you. Pains and shame uh, happens in families. There's a particular scripture. I won't go into a lot of time to read it, but it's in 2 Samuel 13. If you remember the story, um, David has these, he has children. He has some by Bathsheba. He has some by other wives, which tells you, brothers, don't have more than one wife, okay? Stick to one. Any man that has more than one, he, he has a problem. And David did. And so David has a son called Amnon. He's obviously a wicked son. He has a, David has a daughter, and Amnon and and Tamar are half sister and brother. Tamar has a brother called Absalom. Amnon lusted for his half sister. Puts together a scheme to have her to come and provide food for him as he pretended to be sick. While she's there, he rapes her. Now she is the sister of Absalom. David didn't do anything to correct Amnon. He was grieved, he was hurt, he was offended, but he didn't fix the family problem. Let me take you back a little bit further. You remember, remember David takes Bathsheba, kills Uriah the Hittite? You know one of the things God said that would happen to David? He says, sorrow, pain will never leave your household. One of the things I want to pick up, don't let me lose my spot. One of the things I want you to pick up on, not only will God fix your brokenness, but God will actually mend the victimizer as well. God not only want to fix your pain, but he want to fix the guilt and condemnation that comes with other people who victimizes. The gospel was intended and is intended to fix every part of the brokenness. You think, about, um, you think about David's sin. How in the world could David recover from what he did to Uriah the Hittite? I, 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 I would think the guilt and condemnation would be too much. 
But if you want to understand what, how David managed to get himself together is read Psalms 51. Psalms 51 is David's prayer of recovery. He makes a statement there. He says, Lord, against you only have I done this great sin. In other words, he knew that God was the only one that can fix him. If you've made a mistake, don't anyone raise your hand because we all are guilty. If you've made any mistakes in your life where you were the victimizer, you hurt someone, you wounded someone, not only will God fix them, but God will fix you. David sought repentance, and he sought it earnestly and received it, and God mended his brokenness. I think one of the worst things to try to get over is guilt. If you've ever made a real mistake, and every one of you look straight ahead because you were all guilty, is to recover from that. And I remember young, as a young believer, I struggled with the guilt of a life of sin. I wasn't but 21 when I came to Christ. So 21. And what's interesting, I was a good guy until I turned 16. At 16, I lost my mind. I literally did. I just went crazy. I'm thinking. And so in essence, I had about five years of insanity. But it felt like 50,000 years of sin that was on my shoulders. When I came to Christ, I struggled with, what do I do with all this, this guilt? And the same cross that saved me dealt with the guilt that was in my soul. David needed that in order to go forward. So now he's dealing with children. David should have dealt with Amnon about his sin. Raped his own sister. David didn't do anything. And see, if you don't deal with this family issue... This thing will keep coming back up. David had a problem. He didn't deal with it. He didn't deal with it adequately. Now Amnon has a problem. Rapes his own sister. Now Absalom is a whole different issue. Because Absalom didn't forget what Amnon did to his sister. And for two whole years, Absalom brewed. And the word says that Absalom hated Amnon. So one day, Absalom says, let's have a family gathering. We're going to have barbecue over my house. He invites David. David says, no, nah, that's all right. I'll, I'll, I'll just send all the other brothers and sisters. So all the other brothers and sisters of, Ab of Absalom shows up at the birthday party or gathering or barbecue. They probably had uh, uh, some pork, right? The Jewish family? Probably not. And Absalom tells one of his servants, do as I say. When I get the queue, I want you to kill Amnon. And sure enough, Absalom has Amnon killed. The word gets to David that all of your sons and daughters have been killed at the house of Absalom. David rents his clothes and begins to weep, thinking all his children are killed, but only one of them. We know the story goes on that ultimately Absalom flees, stays hidden away for a couple of years. Finally, he asks Joab to see if David will let me come back home. David gives the okay for Absalom to come back home, but David won't, will not see him, will not, will not deal with him. See, if we don't start dealing with these issues, I'm going to just say it. If we don't start dealing with these family secrets, these family secrets are going to become a family curse. There must be repentance in the household. If you were too harsh to your children, go to them and say, I'm so sorry. Now, I don't think I was too harsh. I, I, okay, my, okay. I think sometime I need to go back and spank them again. Where's that big one at? There it is. 
Nah. Actually, actually, my children, all of them were just, they were good children. They had a few moments of insanity, but they were really, they've been really a, a joy. But if you've had, if you had issues in your household, if you missed it as a parent, and all of us have missed it at times, go to your kids and say, I'm sorry. I believe your children are waiting on you to say, I'm sorry. They know you're not perfect. You're probably the only one that hadn't admitted it. They know you're not perfect and go to them and say, I'm sorry, I missed it. David didn't do that. And so Absalom, his heart turns against his father. You know the story. Ultimately, Absalom actually steals the kingdom from his father. And all of this started because of a family issue that never was dealt with. David should have repented before his children. David should have corrected Amnon. David should have addressed this matter. Tamar never married. She lived as a broken uh, a woman from that moment on. Um, ultimately, as I said, Absalom steals the kingdom. Absalom goes to such an extreme. Absalom, he lost his mind. He steals the kingdom and David's wives, concubines, he has sex with them on the top of the palace before the whole kingdom could see him. You're talking about vile. But notice, all of this started, and if each of the pieces are sexual perversions to some degree, matters in the family that was, were not dealt with. God will restore and mend our souls, but we've got to let him do the work. Where there is sin, there must be repentance. Where there was sin, there must be forgiveness. Ah, uh, I know, had to go there, right? Forgiveness. That's not something we do in our flesh. That's something we've got to do by the work of the Spirit. How do you forgive someone who abuses you, mistreats you? I remember years ago um, dealing with a, a, a matter in a, with a family who, who had been victimized by their, their parent. And because of the cross, because of the work of the Spirit, the, this young person was able to forgive their parent. And God restored their sense of peace and, and the, her heart uh, toward her parents. Um, it's the work of the cross. We've got to believe if he's able to get us the glory, deal with a life of sin, he can repair the broken soul. Same cross, same Christ, same king can mend our brokenness. You're going to have pain. You're going to have disappointment. You're going to have some hurt. You, you know, I thought about it some weeks ago. I, I, it kind of troubled me. I so love my children, my grandchildren. And I thought about my little, my little grandson. I'm thinking the youngest of them, I got two grandchildren, grandsons. But I said, how in the world can he get out of this earth without the pain? Because here I am trying to keep him from the pain. You know, he stumped his toe. I'm, I'm going to run in there and help him. I'm thinking, man, this is a challenge. How do your children, they're in here, but they can't, can't get out without pain. The rapture, that's my only hope for them to leave without the pain. But think about that. It's not possible to seem to be here without experiencing some pain. So what do we do? We teach them, train them to run to the one who restores us when we experience the pain. Teach your children to run to Christ early. 
not just for the salvation and, the, and to get you to heaven, but, to, but the saving grace to mend you along the way. It's time out for us to be people fragmented and broken and barely getting by and, and suicidal. They say that the, the suicide among our, our children, uh, 15 to 25, is one of the highest percentages of all the groups of committing suicide. This is the year of great hope and great expectancy, and yet there's a brokenness among our children, a hopelessness, drug addictions through the roof. What? This is all trying to mask and deal with the brokenness in the human soul. When there is an answer. Oh, it's not magic, but it is the answer. The same Jesus, the same cross that deals with sin also deals with pain. Let's look at a few scriptures and then, then I will try to make a transition here. Psalms 23 says he restores my soul. The word restore means to set back, to bring back, to return to the starting point, to feed, to recall, or recompense the soul. In other words, Jesus brings the soul back to the starting point. Before it was broken, he restores my soul. Say that, he restores my soul. Psalms 23 and 5, this same Lord's Shepherd story says, he anoints my head with oil. He anoints my head. The head is where, where the thought life is and the sense of inner brokenness. He, he anoints. He, he literally ministers to. He takes, listen, this, it actually means he takes away the ashes. Ashes meaning the place of brokenness or shame or pain. He takes away the shame that's in, in, in the soul. He anoints the soul. Anoints the head. One of my favorite portions of scripture is in, is in Psalms, uh, excuse yes, yes, Isaiah 61. It's, it's played out in, in Luke 4, where Jesus fulfills the messianic uh, mandate of being the healer. Listen to it in Luke 4 and 18. He says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me. He's empowered me to preach the gospel to the poor. You know, poverty can create trauma. One of us, one, at least one of us got it. Poverty can create trauma. When you grow up without food, that's not good. When you have inadequate clothing, that's not good. It, it can traumatize children. They go to school and sometimes other children can be really mean. You come to school with, with inadequate clothing and they'll tease you and pick on you and so on. It creates a degree of trauma in the heart. I'm telling you, God will not leave you in a broken place. God repairs us from those things. And Jesus is saying that he, he's come to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Oh, my, my, my. You know, if you've been divorced, you've experienced some brokenness. The concept of divorce is not surgical separation. It's actually the ripping of flesh. It's the tearing of the human heart. It's the tearing of the, uh, of, of the emotions. It rips not only financially, but emotionally. It's a tearing. God mends that. How do you get back to wholeness? The cross. Tell someone that. Get back to the cross. Jesus has a plan to mend you from your hurt. 
Maybe, maybe, you're, maybe you're in a place today where, where your marriage is in a, an unhealthy place and you feel the pains of that. You haven't come to divorce, but there's pain there. How do you get back to trusting? How do you get back to, to, the, to the love relationship that you know should be, to be there? It's the cross. The cross. I have to know there's something about that cross that everything is mended through the finished work of Jesus Christ. Did you hear what I just said? Everything is mended through the finished work of Jesus Christ. God never intended for you to be living your life wounded and broken by anything, to be stuck, to be, to be permanently disfigured in your soul. The report, 60 Minutes report saying, this is permanent? No. No, no. I guess if you take Jesus out of the equation, it might be permanent. But in Christ, he restores the soul. How many really believe that? Now, listen, here, here's what I want, you, I want you to do. I, I don't want you just to mentally ascend to this. I want you to exercise your faith in this. That, that wherever you are and whatever you're dealing with, you begin to apprehend and take hold of God's redemptive work for your soul. And if you don't think you need this, you're the first one that needs it. Oh, I'm fine. I'm going to see Dr. So-and-so tomorrow. He'll give me another prescription. You can, you can, you can load up on medication and Prozac and, and all the other, you know, antidepressants. You can load up on that and try to mask the brokenness and the pain, or you can get fixed and healed and restored and, Brought back to wholeness, brought back to plumb, go back to the original state where you were somehow. I, I, it's amazing because one day you'll find yourself says, I'm okay. You're like, well, I should be, I should be, I should be traumatized, but I'm okay. What? I should be a mess, but I'm okay. I have all of the reasons to make excuses for doing nothing because, you know, everybody knows my story. I told, I, I, I've told most people how I was dropped and forgotten, abandoned. David, in his, one of his testimonies, says, he says, when my mother and father cast me out, the Lord will take me up. Isn't that the way life really is? It shouldn't be. See, see, the question is, who are you going to rely upon? You know, one of the things I did early is I actually, I, I let my parents off the hook. I told them both, I says, listen, you don't, you don't owe me anything. You did the best you could, and I'm fine. I remember, and this is one of the most tragic things I ever witnessed in my whole life. I remember just months before my, my mother passed away. My mother passed away at 55 years old. And I remember she was at our kitchen table, and she would weep like a little baby about the pains of her life. And one of the things she would say, she says, I failed you as a mother. I said, Mom, you didn't fail me. I'm here. And God has taken care of me. And she could not, she, whatever, whatever, she couldn't grasp the fact that it's okay. She was, she was so broken because she, for whatever reason, she couldn't accept 
his forgiveness for her failures. Come on. And I'm saying, and no matter what words I would say, it's okay. You did okay. No, I failed you. I failed you as a parent. How many parents struggle with their mistakes? I'm telling you, the same cross that mends your children will mend you as a parent. He restores the soul. For the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. He has sent me to heal up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives. Now, here's that portion. You know, the liberty to the captive for those who were lawfully incarcerated, truly guilty of a crime of some sort or guilty of some mistake, the Lord sets them free. That's what I was trying to tell my mother. Listen, you don't need to stay in bondage in Christ. You're relieved from all guilt and condemnation. You're relieved from all failures. He proclaims liberty to the captives. The enemy would try to tell you that you, you, you deserve uh, punishment. Listen, Jesus took your punishment. The enemy want to tell you you should stay in captivity to, to your mistakes. No, 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 no. Jesus took all of your mistakes. <laughs> ah, you've been liberated from all shame of all sin. The question is, can we receive it? Can we can we embrace that today? Ah, he sets at liberty them who are captive, the recovery of sight to, to the blind, and set at liberty those who are oppressed. The new King James uses the word oppressed. And sometimes the enemy tries to oppress you for your mistakes, oppress you for your pains, oppress you for being dropped or forgotten or, 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 or abused or mistreated in any fashion. Deliverance to the captive means a pardon. And forgiveness given. Liberty or freedom to them who are bruised or crushed. Crushed by circumstances. Crushed by life. Uh, you know, divorce in, the, in a home uh, upon the hearts of children. I can't begin to just say how devastating it is. And those of you who, who've experienced that as a young child where your parents are divorced, it, it literally shatters your world. It shatters your world. Your, your sense of stability is all challenged. And I'm telling you, it's so urgent that you, you, if you, your children are exposed to that, you get them to Christ and let the, let the grace of God begin to minister restoration to their souls so they don't have to stay broken by divorce. But if we don't address it, if we don't allow the cross to do what it was intended to do, then children begin to lose their sense of identity, sense of direction, sense of being balanced and anchored to something more important than, them, than themselves. And so it's critically important that the church get this too. It's important that in the church there are men of God who are being men of God, who would, who would take up their place as being an encouragement to young boys and young girls, that they help bring stability to the world of those who've been traumatized by the broken marriage. Are you still here this morning? Amen. Jesus restores the soul. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 1 through 5, I'll not read it all, but the word says, for I've determined to know nothing, to know, not to know anything, Paul said, among you save Jesus and him crucified. Now, you have to understand, Paul had been through some things, and he, but he was, he was putting everything on the premise that, that, that that's where the answer was, was in Jesus Christ. In Philippians 3, verses 7 through 14, Paul says, what things were gained to me, those counted loss. I counted those things lost 
uh, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, my Lord. He understood where, now you have to understand, Paul, I mean, he's got some guilt issues. Paul is at, is at the stoning of Stephen. They're, they're laying the garments at Paul's feet. Paul is probably one of the instigators to stone young Stephen. And Paul makes the statement, I'm guilty of the blood of no man. How is that even possible? You murderer, he admits he was part of murder. The cross mended him and repaired him that he carried no guilt and no condemnation for his mistakes. Come on, you need to get this. Now, let me, let me say something. Let me say something. Boy, I got to go there. Got to go there. Ugh. One of the most painful, heartbreaking uh, recovery today in our society is for sons and daughters, and certainly the daughters, to recover from having an abortion. And, and we're very intentional, and I remind so many, you have to be very watchful words you use as it relates to abortion, because there's some deep wounds right there. But I'm telling you, the cross can mend that. Can, can mend your pain, your brokenness, your sense of failure, your sense of loss. The cross can mend that. He restores the soul. Ah. Word tells us in 1 Peter 1 and 9, it says, receiving as a result the outcome and the consummation of your faith, the salvation of your soul. The word salvation means soteria, the health of your soul, the rescue of your soul. The cross, salvation, does a thorough work to the soul. Now, listen to understand how it works. The spirit man is saved instantly, saved instantly. The soul is saved instantly, but it's an ongoing salvation as well. It's, it's completely, thoroughly finished in Christ, but then it's an ongoing mending and repairing, sifting and going deeper and deeper, layer, 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 layer upon layer to get to the deeper issues of our souls. It is, it is an ongoing work that he will do in our life. And then ultimately, ultimately we know that we have a redemptive plan to repair our bodies, healing and health in our bodies. But one of the most, most pressing and most consistent work that the cross will do is to mend the soul. When you, when you spend time in the word, spend time and let him mend you, let him fix you. Don't just rush in and read it and keep moving. No, let him do what he's trying to do. Hebrews 10 and 39 says, but we are not as those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. We believe that ultimately the soul will be completely and thoroughly and fully uh, renovated. We are spirit, soul, and body. The cross does the work. The cross where he was crucified. James 1 and 21. We know that the word of God is one of the primary instruments in God mending and repairing the soul. James 1 and 21 says, Receiving with, with meekness the implanted word, the engrafted word, able to save the soul. The word is able to save the soul. You must have faith in him. You must have faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Your faith in Christ to the finished work of Christ. Hey. They need to hear that. Your consistent faith in Christ connects you to the finished work of Christ. Now, here, here's, here's a powerful truth. What you do not believe, you cannot walk in. 
did you hear me? What did I just say? Areas that you have no faith in will be areas you can't walk in. And if you think there, it is an impossible work to mend you wholly, completely, then you will not walk in the fullness of what he has made available for you. So you, it's urgently important that we understand that God has made provisions and that I can be made whole. We know that Romans 12 and 2 talks about the importance of not being conformed to this world. The whole world tells you that you're permanently broken. One of the things I don't do is I don't like to listen to drama. I don't watch reality TV and don't want to even, I won't even listen to, 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 to divorce court or any of that. I don't need, listen, I got enough challenges in my own life. I don't need to be rehearsing your problem. What, what is this, this new New love for reality. It's not, no, it's not reality. It's not my reality. Stop rehearsing other people's mess. Wonder why you're struggling. You keep rehearsing that stuff. And then you'll try it out on your neighbors and friends. Stop that. You're angry about somebody else's problems. It's creating stress and anxiety in your own life. Rehearse your redemptive plan. Rehearse God's remedy to make you whole. You don't have to, listen, you don't have to have a problem in the home. My wife and I get along just fine, most of the time. Most of the time, we, we, we really do get along just fine. I mean, generally speaking, we, she mind her own business, I buy it bad, right? <laughs> I mean, we just don't have issues with that. I think somewhere along the way we recognize that the problem was somewhere else. It wasn't in our home. And, and generally speaking, we don't, we don't bring that stuff in the, into the house. You know, some, some things, stop, stop rehearsing that stuff. You'll mend your soul. The word, Holy Spirit, will mend your soul. With every eye closed, every head bowed, I know if you are not in need of ministry for the soul, I know you know someone who is in desperate need. And I want to encourage you to, to, to challenge, to motivate, to invite them into the finished work of Jesus Christ. When Jesus is on the cross, he, he declares... It is finished. And I have to believe when he said it's finished, he, he's talking about our brokenness in the journey. When he says it's finished, he says, I have a plan and I've instituted the plan. I have fulfilled every mandate that's necessary to make sure that every one of you can live a life of wholeness. It's finished. You don't have to stumble through life. You don't have to be rehearsing all the mistakes of your past or the mistakes of your family, your parents. I think it's interesting when they talk about when you're sitting down with a therapist, one of the first things they want to do is begin to dissect your family. What were your mother and father like? Oh, okay. So you're saying because they made mistakes and they dropped this and failed there that I'm doomed to be incarcerated by their mistakes. I beg the differ because my redeemer 
2,000 plus years ago, if not 6,000 years ago, when Adam and Eve first sinned, God put a plan in motion that would deal with my sins and mend my soul and heal my body. And this redemptive plan is not waiting on me to get to heaven before I can get it. It's already available in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Now, if I would believe him and receive all that he has in store, I can live whole today. I want that portion. And maybe your circumstances today are not ideal. Maybe the relationships around you are still toxic and frustrating. Maybe your marriage is not where it needs to be. Maybe your past keeps talking to you. Maybe the guilt and condemnation of the enemy, the accuser of the brother, keeps reminding you of all the mistakes you've made. And I'm saying this day, he restores the soul. He heals the brokenhearted and proclaims liberty to the captives. I'm going to ask all of you to stand, if you would, please. And let's pray. If you like special prayer, you don't necessarily have to come because you're deeply entrenched in brokenness. But if you'd like special prayer, I'm going to invite you to make your way to the altar. As we pray together, as we experience his grace, his strength, his his power to mend. If you'd like prayer, make your way to the altar. If not, right where you are, we will pray. Yes, Lord. I know I'm going to push you a little bit. I'm going to ask every married couple to make your way to the altar. If you're married, bring your spouse. If your spouse not here, come anyway. And part of my reason for inviting the couples is because marriage is under assault. And most brokenness takes place in the family. And most of our pain started somewhere in a household with a parent. Or in some cases, no parents. one who mends is present. I'm telling you from my own testimony, the Holy Spirit will do a thorough job of fixing what's broken. <laughs> Your testimony doesn't need to be, I'm, I'm a mess, I'm broken. Your testimony can be, you should be, that I'm made whole spirit, soul, and body. Take someone by the hand, even if you're in the congregation. Jesus got his affirmation from the Heavenly Father. He's 30 years old. He's grown up in a carpenter's home. John the Baptist has affirmed him publicly, saying, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. 
But before his ministry was launched, Jesus had heaven to open up at the baptism. And Father said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Father mended. If there was any brokenness in his son's life, he mended it there. And I want to tell all of you this morning, heaven has opened up over you this day. And your heavenly father says, this is my beloved son, my beloved daughter in whom I'm well pleased. If you're born again, washed by the blood, and Jesus is your Savior, Father says the same thing to you. This is my beloved son, this is my beloved daughter, in whom I am well pleased. God is not angry with his children because your acceptance is found in Christ and through Christ. He forgives you from all of your sins, washes you from every mistake, and mends all of your brokenness. This morning, I think our task is to receive. I receive. I receive uh, your grace to mend my imperfections, to heal, and to restore. And so, Father, we as a people, we as a congregation, we as your children, Sons and daughters, stand before you this morning receiving the grace to restore. Lord, we, 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 we're not looking for more religiosity. We're not looking for cute little religious words to talk about. We're, but no, 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 no. We want the authentic work of the Spirit to go to the very core and the depths of our being and fix whatever is broken. Maybe there's still some fragments of being feeling abandoned by a parent. Maybe there's some residue of being forgotten or dropped or not affirmed by a parent. Or maybe we still have the residue of a broken marriage or the pains of an abandoned relationship. Or whatever it is, Lord, we ask Holy Spirit, go to the core. And men, men today men, Lord, of disappointment, discouragement, men feeling isolated, mend, Holy Spirit, mend, mend us. Lord, I, mm, maybe it's a church hurt. Maybe the preacher failed. Maybe the church failed. Help us to forgive. Help us to trust you. Help us to reach to you again and let you do the work. Bless you for it, Lord. We honor you for it. In Jesus' name, we thank you. God's people said amen. God bless you. God bless you. Keep letting him do what he do so well. Keep letting the Lord do the work that he does so well. I am a testimony of the work of the cross to mend the soul. <laughs> Take my medicine. Take my medicine. Hold up your medicine. If you don't have your medicine down there, no wonder you've walked sideways. Listen, the word is medicine. 
your menu. Trust that. Exercise that. Live that out every day. Amen, church? Bless the Lord.